I think having a really robust offline life helps us have a good online life. I think the spiritual disciplines we cultivate offline, the family life we cultivate, the community life, the church life, if those are rich, then it'll give us a, a richer online life. But there's a way to get sucked into where we're so online that that's all we are and all we do. This is The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast going beyond the politics and policies to focus on the people who lead in our communities, states, and nation. Conversations that restore the civility we need in our politics, while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a resource from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Well, welcome back to The Leaders We Need. I'm your host, Joel Harder. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off with my conversation with Dan Darling. Dan is the Senior Vice President for Communications at NRB, the National Religious Broadcasters. For six years before that, he was the Senior Vice President at the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. I've known Dan for a number of years, and I so admire and respect the way he is working and using his online platform and his writing to help people live on mission. In the first part of the conversation, in the previous episode, Dan talked about just the power of our words, how our words can both do great harm, but also so much good. And he talked about the power of our online conversations. If you haven't listened to the first episode, go back and check it out, because Dan also talked about the specific role and responsibility of leaders, how leaders can really use their online platform to do a lot of good or harm. Today, we're going to pick up where we left off, and we're going to also hear how we all can use our online conversations in such a way that is constructive, that breaks through cycles of incivility, that creates positive dialogue. Dan also has a great section in his new book, Away With Words, about how to read the news, and he talks a little bit about a few tips that can really help you read the news well, think better about the stories that are flashing across your internet feed and maybe find the whole story before simply reacting online to what you're reading. I know you're going to enjoy that part in particular. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast. If you subscribe to this podcast and leave a comment, let us know what you think, what you like, what you'd like to hear more of on the leaders we need. That is so helpful in continuing to create conversations that are making a difference in our culture and share these episodes as well with people you know. Well, let's wrap up the conversation with Dan Darling on the leaders we need. When Leaders Matter, How Civility, Integrity, and the Leaders We Need are Possible by Dr. Joel W. Harder. Forward, written by Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt. And when Leaders Matter, Chaplain Joel Harder presents a three-step approach to engage leaders and restore the civility we need in our politics while promoting the integrity we need in our leaders. When that happens, leaders will be able to work and inspire our communities, states, and nation to address the real problems we are facing and navigate a way forward that will benefit all of us. When Leaders Matter, how civility, integrity, and the leaders we need are possible. Available now on Amazon.com, Barnes and Noble, and BarnesandNoble.com. You know, when people will say, 
leaders are silent on this or evangelical leaders are silent on this. It's like, are they silent or are they just not tweeting? Mm-hmm. You know, Tim Keller right now may be talking to his elders. Right. You know, he's not tweeting. Does that mean he's silent? It's just uh, the idea that you have to be as mad as I am about the same issue as me on the same platform as me at the same time as me. It's really ridiculous mm-hmm. when these platforms didn't exist 20 years ago. So I think leaders have to ask themselves, when do I engage? What do I say? When do I put out? When do I address these issues, uh, both internally to the people I'm serving, but also to let people know this is where I stand? I think it's good and right for leaders to do that. Mm-hmm. I just don't think the pressure that we have to have, so we have to say something all the time. We need to resist that. You know, there's this. This is where the the platforms incentivize that they incentivize, man, everyone's talking about this. I got to say something. Mm -hmm. Everyone's saying this. I got to speak up. It may be right for you to speak up given your position uh, and what God is calling you to do and the people you're serving. That's great. But don't feel like you, I don't think leaders have to do that all the time. Mm -hmm. I think we have to really decide what's wise. Drawing the distinction and thinking in terms of, of leaders in particular, and in, in their responsibility and their role is good and helpful. This is one of the reasons I, I think that your book is so timely because you know, leaders have a role to play and, and we need leaders to fulfill their, their role and their function. But, but we are all responsible for the culture. We're all part of, of developing and advancing and influencing the culture that is around us. And so just as leaders have a role to play, so do we. We all do. And, you know, I talk to leaders in, in Washington as well as in Oklahoma, and often they will communicate to me, we want to be more actively working in bipartisan ways and developing rapport relationships with people from different districts. In Oklahoma, it's not so much the Republican-Democrat divide, it's the urban-rural and and just the different needs and priorities in different districts. And, And people want to be engaging across these different priority demographics or groups, but they just don't feel like the culture lets them do it. If people knew that we were friends, uh, probably wouldn't get elected again. So we all have a role to play. And I think that your book is really timely because while you're absolutely right, what's happening online is not real life. It is definitely part of what's driving this or fueling this sense of incivility and hostility. Mm -hmm. So we all have a role to play in, in turning that around. Yeah, we do. And I have a chapter in here on civility Mm -hmm. and really what it means. And I think there's a couple of things. I think sometimes people think civility is an excuse to not be courageous and not do the right Mm. thing and not stand up against injustice. And, and honestly, that's just not true. Uh, Martin Luther King didn't believe that, Mm. you know, he, he had speeches actually on civility and seeing the dignity of even the people he was opposing. Um, and of course in scripture, you know, Peter says in first Peter three 15, have an answer for the hope that lies within you, Mm. uh, have an answer for every person. So be courageous, be willing to, to speak out yet he says, do it with gentleness and kindness. Mm. And so we have this idea that civility and courage can't coexist, but the truth is they can. The loudest person in the room is not always the most courageous. Yeah. Right. And on the flip side, just because someone speaks out against an injustice or for something that's good and right and true, doesn't mean they're being mean or uncivil. 
I think part of the reason we're seeing such deep incivility, it's it's easy to blame social media because social media incentivizes that. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it goes much deeper. As church attendance has declined as just one factor, I think people have replaced that hole where religion filled with politics. Mm. And politics makes a poor religion. It doesn't. And it makes people mean and nasty. When, when you put your... Look, politics is important and good. It's about helping to... Uh, love our neighbor by working toward a society that helps them flourish. And so politics is, is all about the police, the, 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 the city. At the same time, it can't be ultimate. When it's ultimate, it becomes a religion. I think that's where you're seeing the nastiness. I also think there's a loss of these kind of mediating institutions hmm. in our world. Uh, Tim Carney talks about this in his excellent book, uh, Alienated America, the, the kind of thick webs of community that people – need to flourish, whether it's their local church life or, you know, just local associations and all these things that help people have those meaningful bonds. And I think because of that, we're seeing increased incivility. Arthur Brooks has a great point when he says it's not that, um, he said anger isn't the problem, it's contempt. Mm -hmm. He said it's sometimes good and right to be upset about injustice. But he says there's another level of contempt when you when you view your ideological opponents or other people who are in another tribe with just, you know, you can't even see their humanity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's an issue. We what we have today is increasing tribalism. Mm. And I talk in the book that there's a difference between community and tribalism. Community is natural. I mean, we are joiners by nature. Mm. God made us as image bearers to join associations, to join groups. Uh, we need this, right? But tribalism, as Brooks says, is, is a dark twin of community where we're not joining based on shared ideals or shared interests, but on shared hatreds. So yeah. we're, we're joining one side or the other, not because we, we have an agreement, but because we hate the other side together. And that's just not really healthy. And I do think it's incumbent on leaders to model a different way, mm-hmm. to make strong arguments, to have opinions, but then also model ways that you can work with other people. And I think we could do this on social media if we're intentional. Yeah. Like, can we can we commend someone's work can, that might come at it from a different perspective? Can we say, you know, I disagree with you on this, but I really appreciate the way you did this. Can we encourage folks in a way that, shows everybody watching, hey, these people can work together across different different lines. They can get together on this. And I think there's actually a hunger for that. The social media platforms incentivize incivility. The media companies today uh, incentivize that because it gets more clicks, right, when right. you have a salacious headline. And I think we need to resist that impulse and push against that and show the world something better. Well, that's what Arthur Brooks, you, you mentioned his book on Love Your Enemies, how decent people can save America from the culture of contempt. And I love that book. But what you just mentioned is, is kind of what he's talking about, the outrage yeah. industrial complex that is exactly that, that media companies, the platforms, the way they're designed are intentionally feeding that kind of hostility and, and outrage and we and we need to resist them and we can resist them and, and I agree there is a hunger for people to actually break through these cycles and to work together but you we do need leaders to lead the way and I really think that there's such a 
an important role that is going to continue to be elevated going forward for state and local leaders. I think D.C. can be so downstream of culture, and what happens in our communities and in our states today will will make its way to D.C. in the future. But state and local leaders, mm. you know, because constituencies are smaller, because the opportunity to engage with them is a little, it's just greater. There is a really great opportunity for state and local leaders to step into this current American moment and lead the way and for all of us to be doing what you're talking about, resisting those impulses and and participating and moving us forward. I'm an optimist. I, I think the future is bright. We can, we can go for better and we will. Um, and I think that what you've written, what you talk about is such an important, helpful way to equip people to do that. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad you said that about state and local. Cause I really, I really believe in that. I really actually believe that, in local communities, people are doing this fairly well. Yeah, there's there's some conflict and tension, uh, but I see this in state legislatures. I see this in cities. I see this with mayors. I see this with churches. You know, all the bad situations make the headlines, but I see even on race relations, which are tough in this country right now. Let's mm-hmm. not gloss over the fact that there's some real deep pockets of injustice and there's a lot of issues that still need to be worked out and a lot of progress to be made. However, you know, I see even, you know, pastors across the divide getting together and saying, how can we solve this? How can we do this? How can we work together in, in a way that when you get out of the noise of kind of the big media and all that stuff is really happening. So it's incumbent on us. There's a lot we can't change, right? I can't change media companies, really, and I can't change what a lot of politicians do, but I can I can change. I can influence what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And in the circle that God has given me, the circle of influence, and so can everyone else. In the circle of influence that you have, you can change and you can model a, a way of engaging the world of of civility and courage uh, together and working with people who might not agree with you, uh, but finding ways to, to find common ground and recognizing the dignity of people you disagree with. Yeah. I, I wanted to ask you, you have a great quote in the book saying that you know, sometimes we just need to back away from our from our devices. And you, you write, we must quiet those impulses that tell us we have to speak before we know. I would love to know, Dan, when you're talking to people about this issue, how to actually do that. What have you found that that people find most helpful in actually doing that? Because I think people want to. Uh, you mean in terms of not speaking before you know everything? Yeah. yeah quieting yeah, those think, impulses. Yeah. I, th- yeah, I think first of all, just recognizing that I don't have to have an opinion on this and it's a discipline, mm-hmm. right? I mean, there are times even this weekend, all this stuff going on, so many things I wanted to tweet and I was like, no, I'm not going to do this or conversations online that are happening that I have an opinion about and saying, I'm not going to get involved in that. I have an opinion about it. I want it to go a certain way, but this is not my fight. And just backing away and saying no. I also think as much as I encourage engagement on social media, sometimes just backing away from it, you know, endlessly scrolling and looking at the news and, and, you know, it can get us worked up, you know, because there's so much crazy stuff where people are saying ridiculous things and we want to just correct it and realizing I can't correct everybody. I can't change everybody. 
Um, I think having a really robust offline life Hmm. helps us have a good online life. I think the spiritual disciplines we cultivate offline, the family life we cultivate, the community life, the church life, if those are rich, then it'll give us a a richer online life. Hmm. But there's a way to get sucked into where we're so online that that's all we are and all we do. And honestly, we got to fight it. You know, we have to fight the temptation to keep reaching for our phones and the FOMO of, you know, what am I missing out on in terms of the news cycle and the stories? And uh, I think we just have to resist that as much as we can, um, because, you know, to, in order uh, to have a healthy online engagement and, and also just saying, if I tweet this, what's the ramifications? This is in public. What are people, you know, just just going through kind of that cal- mental calculus, I think is really helpful. I think having that core group of of friends that you can just text with, that's a great strategy. Some of my best friends that I would say are probably would be in that group. You know, I don't live anywhere near them anymore. And so it kind of becomes a great way to to keep those friendships active and going. But I think that is a great first run at, at getting some good counsel on how you're seeing something or maybe missing something or, or, you know, maybe that's not as funny as I thought it was to go ahead and say that. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, understanding that uh, I don't have to say something right now. Mm -hmm. I can. It's good, but I don't have to. And I have, again, having that rich offline life. I I really like church life because it makes me realize that most of the people in my church are probably not on Twitter and they don't know the last 15 controversies that happened. right? Right. Yeah. And focusing on what unites us too, you know, as Christians, what unites us are are, are, our Christian faith, uh, but also with other Americans and other people, what unites us is our common humanity. And, you know, I have people in my life that love the president, think he's the best thing ever, and I agree with him on some points and disagree with him on some point. And we go round and round and we disagree. But I love them. And these are people that are far better people than I am, and they're good people. I just disagree with them on some points. I also have people in my life that can't stand the president and think he's the worst we've ever had. I disagree with them on some points and agree with them on some points, and we go round and round. And But we still love each other, and they're better people than I am. And so I think having people in our lives that disagree with us on these things is really important to not take ourselves so seriously to see different perspectives and really, you know, I think, you know, have a healthy way of seeing the world. Yeah. I wanted to ask you one more thing, if you've got a few more minutes. Yeah. I loved the appendix that you included about how to read the news. You've already talked about some of the points that you you include in there, but one of the things in particular I look at in light of COVID and what's happened over the last few months And I would love to get your perspective on this because of your experience and your work in both working with press, working with the news media. It's one thing when the information is not good. When we look back on the last few months, we will see that that there is some information, some stories that might not necessarily have been that it was biased or it was, you know, they were trying to push a narrative. It's just the information was bad. Certainly early when the pandemic was making its way into our country, there was just some bad information. It's a pandemic. It's brand new. There, there's, there's a lot that we're going to learn in time. 
But even when the information was good, when it was solid and reliable, there's a problem with the credibility of the source. So even if the information's good, is there credibility of the source? And I am very interested after COVID, after this election, what's going to happen in the future or what can happen to kind of recalibrate developing credibility of information sources? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's really getting harder because a lot of folks, when I talk to them across the political spectrum, are saying during this COVID thing, who, what do I even believe in anymore? I think I would say a few things. I, I think, one, who has been a consistent expert in the field this whole time, who has, has a balance between not dismissing, you know, you know, between taking it seriously and not dismissing that COVID is a real issue and a problem, but also not an alarmist, you know, because I think you have those two polarities where you have folks who, who have sort of alarmists on the one who've been, you know, disproven with their wild theories. But then you have had people on the other side who have not taken it seriously at all. And it's a myth. And, and so I just think we have to be, you know, who, who has been a consistent voice on this that has been calm and reassuring, but also has facts. Like what are the actual facts? Uh, I also think we just need to really, and especially in the time of COVID, it's really taught me this read articles, not headlines. Mm. That's really uh, good. Headlines are written. Headlines are written by, people at news organizations that want to get you to look or click you know the crayons on the bottom of tv it's all designed to to generate you know uh, a response and you know fear sells mm -hmm. and so i think we need to read the whole story we also just need to be a careful about confirmation bias that i want this to be true so i'm gonna only read stuff here and this confirms my narrative and read from a variety of places, uh, not just from, you know, right leaning sources or left leaning sources or whatever, but from a variety of different places that are trust that, you know, where you can you can kind of read through the information. It's hard to find those. I found a few sites like I think World Magazine's done a really good job. Even though they come from a conservative perspective, they really give news in a, in a, in a straightforward way. I think the Dispatch, David French and. Jonah Goldblum, you know, they do these these explainers and stuff that are really just, okay, this makes a lot of sense, you know, and just voices that have been been like that. So I'm trying to think through all the all the different places I read, but I think we have to be careful about forming opinions either way. Yeah. You know, I'll run into people who are just will be alarmed because they'll say, I heard this, you know, and it's like ah, a couple a couple days later, that's been disproven. And I just think we have to be just really, really smart and understand our limitations. Yeah. I'm not a disease, infectious disease expert. I'm not a pediatrician. Trust people who have that expertise. Uh, even though now it seems like there's experts on different sides of things, but for the most part, yeah. you know, B bottom line, not let fear grip us. I think we need to be saying this more as leaders that let's not be governed by fear. There's certain reasons to be afraid of, of legitimate dangers and to be wise but not be governed by fear mm -hmm. as Christians. We, we have not been given the spirit of fear. Right. So. Well, and that's such a powerful statement. The number one thing that Christians should be bringing to society and, and certainly to the, the political arena is the driving out of fear. Mm. Last question I'll ask you, as you look at the state of things today in culture, politics, public discourse, both online and in the real world, as you say, what gives you the most hope? for the future of, of our words and the way we're engaging in, in doing this? You know, a lot of people are not hopeful. 
about the country, holding together about the state of our discourse about the church. I've always been an optimist, but I'll tell you why I'm optimistic. Number one, if we work backward, America has gone through significant times of tumult and division, all kinds of things. So this seems like a really awful time, and and I think it is, you know, a pandemic and riots and racial tension. But when I look at the long history of this country, we've gone through worse. We've we've gotten leaders that have been able to stand up and and lead us well. I'm optimistic that way. But I'm even more optimistic about the state of the church because I am convinced God is not in heaven wringing his hands about the things that we're wringing our hands about. He's not surprised by 2020. Christ is building his church in the, in 2020. Uh, in fact, one of the things we have to fight in this age is cynicism, that, mm-hmm. that God is not sovereign today, that Christ is not building his church, and that Jesus, is, Jesus doesn't say it. And all the things that God has promised to his people are active and available in 2020. You know, sometimes we'll read like back in the time of like Billy Graham and, and all these people becoming Christians and all and times of revival and think, man, that was great. That can happen today. And it's not like God is finished. We discount what God is doing right now. Yeah. Uh, we discount who he's raising up and what he's planning on doing. So that's where I really put my hope. Christ is building a church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Social media and the movements in 2020 have not caught him by surprise. Yeah. So, Well, Dan, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for writing this book. I know I have found it ex- exceedingly helpful and useful and have shared it. And so you have introduced a really timely work that is going to help impact a lot of people. And I appreciate you being on the leaders we need today. Well, thank you. And thank you for having me on. I'm honored to be on here. And I am really grateful really grateful for the work that you're doing. I think it's really vital. Thank you for listening to The Leaders We Need with Joel Harder, a podcast from Oklahoma Capital Culture. Oklahoma Capital Culture is a nonprofit organization shaping a culture of civility, integrity, and servant leadership among policymakers through nonpolitical and nonpartisan engagement. Learn more about Oklahoma Capital Culture and how you can help shape the leadership culture at www.capitalculture.com. Original music heard on The Leaders We Need, provided by Scott Allen Matthews at mypodcastmusic.com.